نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما So in Sahih Bukhari we are studying the abwab the chapters that are concerning imama meaning the person leading the people in prayer and salatul jama'ah praying together in congregation and the bab that we ended at was ahlul ilmi wal fadli ahqqu bil imamah the people of knowledge and excellence have more right to lead the prayer meaning who should be the imam the one who has most knowledge but not just knowledge of the deen along with that also some fadl meaning some something that he possesses because of which he has authority over the rest of the people it could be his age it could be his social status it could be his other virtues and in the ahadith that imam bukhari has mentioned under this chapter heading are the ahadith that tell us about the time when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was passing away and when people asked that salah needs to be performed then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam insisted that abu bakr radhiyallahu anhu lead the people in prayer why is it that abu bakr radhiyallahu anhu was appointed because he was the most knowledgeable amongst the companions but besides that even though there were other companions who had more knowledge of the quran more reason was that he was someone who had fadl meaning people would accept his leadership his imama and his fadila over the rest of the people was known it was established the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did hijra with him there were so many events in the lifetime of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when it was made evident that abu bakr radhiyallahu anhu really he had excellence over the rest of the people so in all of these ahadith we see that abu bakr radhiyallahu anhu was appointed as the imam In the last hadith in this bab we will read حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَ بْنُ سُلَيْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا بْنُ وَهْبٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي يُونُسْ عَنِ بْنِ شِهَابٍ عَنْ حَمْزَةَ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَنَّهُ أَخْبَرَهُ عَنْ أَبِيهِ قَالَ He said لَمَّا وَنْ إِشْتَدَّ بِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَجَعُهُ When the illness of the Prophet ﷺ became worse, it grew worse. قِيلَ لَهُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ He was asked about the prayer, meaning the prayer has to be performed. Who's going to lead the people in prayer? فَقَالَ So he said, مُرُوا أَبَا بَكْرٍ فَلْيُصَلِّ بِالنَّاسِ Tell Abu Bakr and he should lead the people in prayer. Qalat Aisha, Aisha radhiyallahu anha, she said, Inna Abu Bakrin rajulun raqiq. Abu Bakr is a man who's very soft-hearted. So what will happen? Ida qara'a ghalabahu al-buka. When he will recite the Quran, his crying will overtake him and he will not be able to lead the people in prayer. So she was suggesting basically that Umar radhiyallahu anhu lead instead of Abu Bakr because Umar radhiyallahu anhu was more uh, you can say strong-hearted. But what happened the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam insisted qala muruhu fayusalli tell him and he should lead the people in prayer fa'awadatu so she also repeated her suggestion qala muruhu fayusalli inna kunna sawahibu yusuf and he scolded them and he insisted that no abu bakr radhiyallahu anhu should lead the people in prayer tabahu az-zubaydiyyu wa ibn akhi az-zuhriy wa ishaq ibn yahya al-kalbiyyu an az-zuhriy wa qala uqayl wa ma'mar an az-zuhriy an hamzah an an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam another chain has been mentioned so it is clear from all of these texts that ahlul ilm wal fadl are most worthy most deserving of being the imam bab man qama ila jamb al-imam li'illatin man qama the one who stood ila jamb al-imam on the side of the imam li'illatin for an illah meaning for a good reason Now imam where is he supposed to stand in the front of the people meaning the rest of the people are supposed to form rows behind him and obviously this is in the case of the man when a woman is leading other women then where is she supposed to stand in the middle of them but the imam is supposed to stand 
in front of the congregation. Now what is mentioned over here? The one who stands next to the imam because of some reason. Meaning, let's say there is not much space. The masjid in itself is very small and more people are coming in. So a person has to stand right next to the imam on his right side and there is a genuine reason behind that. There is no space. So is that permissible when there is a genuine reason or is it something that's not permissible at all? We learn that it is permissible. Because we see that the Prophet ﷺ, when he came in order to join the people in salah, he sat next to Abu Bakr radhiallahu right? Now from the hadith we see that the Prophet ﷺ came and sat on the left side of Abu Bakr radhiallahu What does that show? That the Prophet ﷺ joined as Imam. Because the ma'moom, the one who is following the Imam, where is he supposed to stand? On the right side of the imam. But we see that where the Prophet ﷺ came and joined the people, he was on the left side, Abu Bakr was on his right side. So that shows that the Prophet ﷺ came as the imam. حدثنا زكريا ابن يحيى قال حدثنا ابن نمير قال أخبرنا هشام ابن عروة عن أبيه عن عائشة قالت she said أمر رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أبا بكر The Prophet ﷺ instructed Abu Bakr أن يصلي بالناس في مرضه that he should lead the people in prayer during his illness. فكان يصلي بهم then he would lead the people in prayer. As you know, this happened for several days, for three days. So what happened? قال عروة فوجد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في نفسه خفة. At one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ found in himself some khiffah, lightness, meaning because of which he was able to come to the masjid and join the people in prayer. So as soon as he found in himself some strength to join the people in prayer, to pray in jama'ah, what happened? فَخَرَجَ So he came out. And we learn from other ahadith that he was taking the help of others in walking, but he came out in order to join the congregation. فَإِذَا أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ يَأُمُّ النَّاسِ And at that time, what was happening? Abu Bakr anhu, he was leading the people in prayer, meaning the jama'ah had already started. فَلَمَّا رَآهُ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ When Abu Bakr saw the Prophet ﷺ coming, what happened? إِسْتَأْخَرَ He stepped back. Why did he step back? In order to join the rows behind him, so that the Prophet ﷺ would be the imam. But what happened? فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْهِ But the Prophet ﷺ indicated to him that... أن كما أنت That as you are Meaning stay where you are Don't move back Stay where you are And what happened فَجَلَسَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ The Prophet ﷺ came and sat حِذَاءَ أَبِي بَكْرٍ إِلَى جَنْبِهِ Meaning the Prophet ﷺ came and sat next to Abu Bakr فَكَانَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ يُصَلِّي بِصَلَاةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ وَالنَّاسُ يُصَلُّونَ بِصَلَاةِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ so Abu Bakr anhu was following the Prophet ﷺ and the rest of the people who were they following? Abu Bakr anhu. Now why, why did this happen? Why didn't Abu Bakr, why wasn't he allowed to simply join the rest of the people in prayer? And the Prophet ﷺ would be in the front. Why? Because you see, the Prophet ﷺ was ill. And he came and he sat down. Now the people behind him would not necessarily be able to hear him or even watch his movements because he was too sick to even stand up. Correct? So, you know like how it happens that if there is a large congregation and there's no microphone, or even if there is microphone, it's possible that the people who are in the back rows will not be able to hear the imam. So then what happens? There is a person who is appointed to repeat the words of the imam. Isn't that so? So that when the imam says, Allahu Akbar, 
That person, he's called Mukabbir. What does he do? He says Allahu Akbar out loud, very loudly. Why? So that everybody can hear. Correct? Now the thing is that the Prophet ﷺ was sitting. And when he would say anything, he would say it very, very softly. So even the people standing right behind him would find it difficult to hear him, right? Or to know his movements, to recognize his movements. Because you know when a person is sitting, sometimes you cannot tell whether they're going into rukur or they're still sitting. Isn't that so? And sometimes a person is too sick to even go into sajda. So he will just do ishara. Right? So this is the reason why Abu Bakr anhu was standing next to the Prophet ﷺ. So whenever the Prophet ﷺ went into the next position, Abu Bakr anhu would follow him and he would say out loud so the rest of the congregation would know what to do. So is this clear? So in this, what do we see? That the Mukabbir was standing next to the Imam. Alright, so this shows that if there is a genuine reason for someone to stand next to the imam, is it permissible? Yes, it is permissible. But if there is no reason, then should it be done? No, it should not be done. Because the imam is supposed to stand in front of the congregation. That is the rule. In this hadith, we also see that the Prophet ﷺ did ishara. He gestured with his hand, and kama anta, and Abu Bakr anhu followed him. So what does this show? That first of all, ishara will be followed. Hmm? Meaning, it's not necessary that we get verbal instruction or written instruction. Even if someone gestures with their hand, we should follow. Okay? Because sometimes we wait for a very clear instruction. And this also shows to us that when uh, an ishara will be followed, then that means ishara or body language should also be appropriate. Right? This is why akhlaq should not just be demonstrated, good manners should not just be demonstrated in our words, but also in our body language. Right? Because even they have value. Right? Anything you'd like to add to this? There are many, many occasions where we learn that someone was praying and they did ishara in order to communicate with the other. Now remember that every kind of ishara is not allowed. Right? So for example, you're praying and somebody asks you where so and so and you point upstairs or you say outside. No. Only that ishara which will, which will help you in your prayer. Which will help you in your prayer. Inshallah we'll go more into the detail of this in the following ahadith. But basically it's such ishara that will help you in your prayer. In the Masjid al-Haram we hear the mukabbir. Why? Because there are so many people and if the Imam says Allahu Akbar and you know because of some noise people didn't hear it, there is a chance that their salah would be affected. So in order to you know make it very clear to the people, we see that the mukabbir is appointed in large congregations. Even with the presence of the mics and all of these high-tech systems, still the mukabbir is present. The ulama said that the mukabbir will be appointed when there is a need. So when is there a need? When the voice may not be heard, and there could be two reasons behind that. A, because the imam is sick, and secondly, uh, because the congregation is too big. Because even if there are thousands of people, and there is, you know, a speaker system, still because of the noise, or because you're so far from the imam, you could miss it. This was a very clear indication to Abu Bakr and the ummah, that Abu Bakr was supposed to be the leader. 
باب من دخل لي أم الناس The one who entered in order to lead the people. من دخل who entered meaning who came forward. Why? لي أم الناس So that he can lead the people in prayer. He can be their imam. So what happened? فجاء الإمام الأول Then the first imam came. فتأخر So the one who's currently leading the people in prayer, what does he do? فتأخر He goes back. فتأخر الأول أو لم يتأخر or he does not go back. جازت صلاته His salah is valid. What does this mean? This means that the regular imam, the appointed imam, he is not present. For whatever reason, he is not able to make it for prayer. So what happens? Someone else دخل. Someone else steps forward in order to lead the people in prayer. So what happens? He starts the jama'ah and the regular appointed imam, he walks in. Clear? You see what's happening? The regular imam was not there. The people waited and they thought, okay, the time is the time for the prayer is going, so we, sh- we should begin the prayer. So they begin the prayer. Now the regular appointed imam, he walks in. Now the one who is leading the people at that time, what should he do? Should he continue as imam or should he step back so that the actual imam can lead the people in prayer? Both options are valid. You see? Both options are there. Either can be done. Whatever is done, salah will be valid. Okay? Clear? Now, what does this show to us? Okay, the flexibility. But what else does it teach us about the imam? Exactly, that the imam must be treated with respect. His position and the fact that he is to lead the people in prayer. If someone else has taken his place temporarily, then what is the etiquette? That when the imam walks in, then he should be made to lead the people. And if he says, no, it's okay, you continue on, you carry on, then that is also valid. But it shows to us that the respect that must be shown to the imam. Now, if the appointed, the regular imam, if he comes when the people are still in the first rakah, you understand? The one who's taken his place, the one who started the prayer, he just did Allahu Akbar and after a couple of minutes, the regular imam walked in. So what happens? He steps back and the regular imam, he takes over. Okay. Now, everything's fine. No problem, they can complete the prayer. But what if the regular imam, when he walked in, the people were in their second rakah? Or in their third rakah. Hmm? And the person who's leading at that time, he insists, he steps back. Right? He insists, he steps back, and what happens? The regular appointed imam, then he leads the people in prayer. Now, how is he supposed to lead the people in prayer? Because, I mean, technically the people are in their second or third rakah, and that is his first rakah. What, what's going to happen? Because if a person joins as a follower, a congregation, later on, what's the rule? You just complete after the imam ends the prayer. But this person is the imam. He's supposed to be leading the people in prayer. Now what's going to happen? What the imam is supposed to do is that he's supposed to continue the prayer from where he joined. So for example, the people are in the second rakah or third rakah. I'm telling you because just in case something like this happens, you should know. Not that there is a chaos and what's going on. And you see, there could also be an accident or something, a big congregation He's a human being, the imam, if he falls unconscious or something. You know, anything like that can happen and somebody else steps forward in order to lead the people in prayer or somebody else comes and joins. I mean, people should know what to do, right? So anyway, the imam, what is he doing? So let's say he joined in the second rakah 
he is going to lead the prayer as if he is in the second rakah. Okay. Now the salah, fourth rakah, everybody is sitting in tashahud. Now should the imam say the salam, everybody will end their prayer, and then the imam will stand up and complete whatever he's missed? Should he do that? No. Why? Because he cannot say salam when his salah is not finished. You understand? He cannot say salam when his salah is not finished. So then what is he supposed to do? He's going to lead the people in prayer until the very end of the prayer. Okay? And now, there's two options available for the people. Either they sit in the shahud and wait for the imam to complete his missed rakah. Right? Or they can say salam themselves. So you understand, people are sitting in the shahud. The imam, he just says, Allahu Akbar. He completes his rakah. People are waiting in salah. And as long as they're waiting, they're getting their reward. Okay? So if a person has to wait, no harm, inshallah. So they wait for the imam to complete his rakah, and then the imam says salam, and everybody says salam with him. But if it's difficult for the people, let's say the imam came in the third or fourth rakah, and they're like, okay, we're supposed to be sitting like this. So then they have the option of saying the salam themselves, and the imam can complete his prayer on his own. You understand? Because they are ma'dhurun. They, they, why should they be forced to sit and wait? People have the option. If somebody wants to carry on sitting, waiting for the imam, they can do that. And if they want to end the prayer, they can, and everybody's situation is different. Why? Because again, the respect that for the for the actual imam. Because you see, the option is there. Right? The option is there. You see, it can happen. Like for example, the regular imam, he's a teacher, person of authority. And the one who's leading is someone younger than them in age, in rank. And they feel embarrassed leading their ustad in prayer. Right? I mean, the one who has adab for his ustad, he will not be able to lead his teacher in prayer, as we will learn from the manner of Abu Bakr anhu. So he will not be able to pray, he will not be able to focus in his prayer, he will have this guilt in his heart. So if he feels more comfortable stepping back and letting the actual imam lead, then that option is available. Jazat salatuhu. People at the back, they see that, okay, imam is standing up. He just said Allahu Akbar And people in front of me are saying salam Or they're sitting So they will follow the people who are in front of them Okay فيه عائشة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Concerning this matter There is a report from Aisha عنها, And basically Imam Bukhari is indicating towards The ahadith that talk about how Abu Bakr عنه, When he was leading the people in prayer And the Prophet وسلم, came What happened? Abu Bakr who tried to step back, but the Prophet ﷺ insisted that he stay. Right? And there's other ahadith that show us something that happened, something different that happened. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن أبي حازم بن دينار عن سهل بن سعد الساعدي أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم ذهب إلى بني عمر بن عوف. He went to the tribe of Banu Amr bin Auf. Why? لِيُصْلِحَ بَيْنَهُمْ In order to do sulh between them. There must have been a dispute or something. So the Prophet ﷺ went there, went to them, he visited them in order to resolve their dispute. فَحَانَتْ So while the Prophet ﷺ was away, what happened? فَحَانَتْ So the time entered for what? الصَّلَاةِ The prayer. Now the time for the prayer came in, the people are all gathered together, the Prophet ﷺ is not there, and they don't know if he will be able to make it in time for the prayer. Those days there were no cell phones, right? That somebody says, go on and 
pray because I will be a couple of hours. They don't know. He could show up in a minute. He could show up in half an hour. He could show up in one, two days. They had no idea. So what happened? فَجَاءَ المؤذن. So the muaddin, the person who was appointed to give the adhan, and most probably it was Bilal anhu, he came to who? إِلَىٰ أَبِي بَكْرٍ To Abu Bakr anhu. فَقَالَ And then he said, أَتُصَلِّي لِلنَّاسِ Would you lead the people in prayer? فَأُقِيمَ So that I can give the iqama, I can give the adhan and the iqama. قَالَ أَبُو بَكَرَ ضُلَّهُ عَنْهُ He said, نَعَمْ Yes. He said, okay, I will lead the people in prayer because he saw the need. Right? The time for prayer has entered. The Prophet ﷺ is not here. Now, somebody has got to lead. So Abu Bakr was asked, what did he say? Yes. So then what happened? فَصَلَّى أَبُو بَكْرٍ Abu Bakr he led the people in prayer. And as he was leading, فَجَاءَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَالنَّاسُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ The Prophet ﷺ came and the people were all praying. فَتَخَلَّصَ So the Prophet ﷺ went through the rows. He entered the masjid and he went through the rows. Where? To the front of the masjid. Hatta until waqafa fi saf. He stood in one of the rows. So the Prophet ﷺ came forward and he stood in the row, meaning he intended to join the prayer as a ma'moom. Abu Bakr anhu being the imam and the Prophet ﷺ following Abu Bakr in the prayer. So what happened? The people were like, this is not happening. So, فَصَفَّقَنَّا So the people, they began clapping. Why? In order to get the attention of Abu Bakr anhu. وَكَانَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ And Abu Bakr anhu, it was his habit that لَا يَلْتَفِتُ فِي صَلَاتِهِ He would not look away in his prayer. Didn't matter what happened. Abu Bakr anhu, if he's standing in prayer, he wouldn't look right or left, front, you know, back or anything. So what happened? فَلَمَّا أَكْثَرَ النَّاسُ التَّصْفِيقِ But when the people... Their clapping was so much. Abu Bakr anhu realized there's something serious. So a lot of clapping basically distracted him from prayer. Can you imagine? What happens to us? Something that's not even relevant to us, we're distracted by it. And the people had to clap so much in order to get Abu Bakr's attention. So when it happened, then iltafata, he looked back that what's going on? Is, is everything okay? فَرَأَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And he saw the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So what happened? فَأَشَارَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم pointed towards him, indicated to him, أَنِمْ كُثْ مَكَانَكَ That stay in your place. فَرَفَعَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ يَدَيْهِ Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه raised up his hands, فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ And he glorified Allah عَلَى مَا أَمَرَهُ بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ at what the Prophet ﷺ instructed him to do. So he raised up his hands and said, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah. Yani, the Prophet ﷺ telling me to lead on while he's here. So he glorified Allah. Summa And then he stepped back. Who? Abu Bakrin. Hatta stawa fi saf. Until he joined the row. وَتَقَدَّمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And the Prophet ﷺ stepped forward. فَصَلَّى And then he led the people in prayer. فَلَمَّا صَرَفَ Then when he ended, meaning the prayer ended, قَالَ The Prophet ﷺ said, يَا أَبَا بَكْرٍ O Abu Bakr, مَا مَنَعَكَ What prevented you? أَن تَسْبُتَ That you remain إِذْ أَمَرْتُكَ When I told you. Meaning you should have carried on as Imam. I told you to remain in your place. Why didn't you do that? فَقَالَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ So Abu Bakr said, مَا كَانَ لِبْنِ أَبِي قُحَافَةَ أَن يُصَلِّيَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ 
it is not possible for Ibn Abi Quhafa that he would pray before the Prophet ﷺ. It doesn't befit Ibn Abi Quhafa that he should be standing in front and the Prophet ﷺ is standing behind him. فَقَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Then he turned towards the rest of the people and he said, مَا لِي رَأَيْتُكُمْ أَكْثَرْتُمُ التَّصْفِيقُ That, what's the matter? How come you started clapping so much? مَنْ رَابَهُ شَيْءٌ فِي صَلَاتِهِ Whoever, رَابَهُ, it puts him to doubt. Anything in his prayer, meaning if there is anything that is a cause of concern for a person in prayer, then what should he do? فَلْيُسَبِّحْ He should do tasbih. He should say, subhanallah. فَإِنَّهُ إِذَا سَبَّحَ Because when he will do tasbih, أُلْتُفِتَ إِلَيْهِ He would be looked at. Meaning the imam would then look back and see what's going on. Is everything okay or not? وَإِنَّمَا التَّصْفِيقِ And he said that the clapping is for who? لِلنِّسَاء For the women. Now there's many things that we learn from this hadith. First of all, we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he made Abu Bakr lead the people in prayer at the end of his life. But this was not the only time. It happened before also when the Prophet ﷺ was healthy. Everything was fine. In his absence, the Mu'addin himself approached Abu Bakr. Right? Because there must have been a clear instruction from the Prophet ﷺ. It must have been understood that in his absence, who should be the Imam? Abu Bakr Right? So this shows that Abu Bakr was the Imam of the people in the absence of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? And also after his death. Why? Because of his fadl over the people. Secondly, we see the humility of the Prophet ﷺ that he himself went out in order to resolve the dispute. He didn't have the whole group of people come to him, bring their case and listen to them and resolve their dispute. It was easier that he would go to them and resolve the dispute. So he didn't call them, rather he went himself. And sometimes it happens that the person in charge, he, he keeps in mind his own convenience rather than the convenience of the rest of the people. So sometimes really it is more convenient for other people to come to him and sometimes it is more convenient that he go to them. In either case, no one should you know, let his ego come in the way. Whatever is most suitable in that situation should be done. Even if it means that the leader has to go to the people. Also we see how good it is to do islah between people. That when there was a dispute, the Prophet ﷺ, he went in order to resolve that dispute. Typically what is our attitude? We say, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to get stuck in this mess. But you see, if there is a dispute in the people and you have the ability to resolve that dispute, then you should step forward and help the people out. Right? Especially if the people are coming to you seeking advice, seeking some solution, and you have the ability to advise them, then what's your responsibility? That you help the people. Right? Islah bayna nas resolving the disputes of people is something that's very, very virtuous. Also we see that in this hadith, that when the appointed imam is not able to make it in time for prayer, then there is no harm if someone else steps forward in order to lead the people in prayer. Now, in which case will this be done and how it will be done? Inshallah, we will discuss that in the following ahadith. Then we also see the adab of the mu'adhin. What's the etiquette that the mu'adhin must follow? That he should not give the adhan or do the iqama except after seeing that the imam is ready. Taking permission from the imam. Because you see the mu'adhin he saw, the Prophet ﷺ is not here. And it's possible 
that he might not be able to make it anytime soon. So he didn't just give the adhan and people are waiting and they're like, oh, you know what, we're just waiting for the imam to come. No. This is su'ul adab, this is bad adab. What is appropriate adab? That the mu'adhan should see, okay, imam is here, he is ready, take the permission from the imam and then give the adhan. So when the mu'adhan saw the Prophet ﷺ was not there, he went to Abu Bakr and he said, would you lead the people in prayer? Abu Bakr agreed, then the mu'adhan gave the adhan. These days what happens? The imam is doing wudu. And what happens? The adhan is pronounced and the imam is rushing, rushing, rushing. There is no regard for the imam. So what's the proper etiquette? That the person who uh, has to come and lead the people in any matter, what should be done? When they are present, when they are ready, then the announcement be made or the adhan be given or whatever that has to be done, should be done. Like for example, let's say there is a class somewhere and many times it happens that the scholar who is teaching there's a break. And it's supposed to be his break also. But do people let him have a break? No, they don't. So what do they do? They all gather around him and they ask him questions, questions, questions. Now he has to he has to drink his water, go to the washroom or something. And he's gone and the people are just, you know, they make the announcement, class has begun. And everybody's sitting and waiting for him to come. It's very disrespectful. So whether it is in the matter of salah or in any other matter, the congregation should not be called except after the leader is ready, except after permission has been taken from him. Then we also see over here that going through the rows all the way to the front, is that something that's generally permissible? Everybody's standing in prayer and you're cutting through the rows, going through, is that permissible? No. But it's only permissible in two cases over here. First, when it's the imam who has to go, Okay, so the Prophet ﷺ, he went through the rows all the way to the front. It's the imam who has to go. And secondly, uh, there is a gap in the front. Okay, so if there is a gap in the front, then it's your responsibility that you fill it up. So even if you have to go through everybody, okay, walk through the class or through the masjid in order to go join the salah in the front or the congregation in the front, then you can do that. So for example, the imam realizes he doesn't have wudu, then he has to go through the rows all the way back, do his wudu, and then come back. When he's coming back, again, he's going to go through the rows. Right? Now sometimes it happens that uh, the Jumu'ah khutbah is going on, and people are sitting scattered. Now you come, and you sit to the back, but you see there is a big you know, space in the front, towards the front of the masjid. So you can go over there, as long as you don't bother the people, and you go carefully, you can go to the front and fill in that gap. There is no harm in that, inshallah. Also we see in this hadith that during salah, looking away from the place of prostration, is that permissible? No, because Abu Bakr anhu, he did not do iltifat. Right? And we learn from other hadith that when a person looks away, here, there, even if it's for a second, even if it's just a glance, a quick one, that is what? The part of the prayer that shaitan has stolen. Shaitan stole that part of prayer from you. He snatched it away from you. Hmm? So it is not permissible to look away from the place of sajda where a person is supposed to be looking at during salah. Okay, it's not permissible to do that. And the Prophet ﷺ also warned, إِيَّاكَ وَالْتِفَاتِ فِي الصَّلَةِ That don't do this, be warned against it. So iltifat is allowed when there is haja, when there is extreme need. So for example, over here, what happened? Abu Bakr anhu, he is not looking away, but the people are clapping louder and louder and louder. So he realized there's something serious. 
So because of that reason, he turned back. Likewise, a person is standing in prayer and, you know, he senses that there's a lot of, you know, sparks or something coming from the wall. It could cause a huge emergency. Now he wants to confirm that. So if he looks towards that to see if it's really a cause of concern, danger, or for example, a person sees something crawling on the floor towards him and he wants to make sure it's not something harmful, dangerous. So he looks towards that and sees it's a snake coming towards him, you know, something, you know, quite dangerous. So in that situation, is he allowed to look there? Yes. Okay. So in that situation, remember when there's haja, when there's extreme need, then iltifat is permissible. With regards to children, if they are continuously coming to you and looking towards you and they want you to look at them, you can pick them up, but you'll see that inshallah gradually uh, they will get trained. Because if you look at them once, you look at them twice, they will expect that from you all the time. And you won't be able to focus on prayer. Now they're expecting you to look at them. Next time they'll expect you to go away with them or answer them, right? So, you know, unless if it's an extreme, extreme need, like the child is hurt or something, right? So remember, extreme need, then you may look to what is necessary, very, uh, you know, for, for a brief period of time. During the prayer, if you need to move forward to your right or to your left, it is permissible in order to fill in the gap in the row uh, and also in order to move towards uh, a place where you will have a sutra in front. That is also permissible. Also, we see over here that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, what did he do? He raised up his hands. Alhamdulillah. Now, was that dhikr part of prayer? No. In the sense that, is it part of the prayer to raise up your hand like that and say, Alhamdulillah? No, it's not. So what does this show to us? The fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't object at that, what does it show? That in the prayer, if there is a reason to glorify Allah, to praise Allah, then it is permissible to do that. So for example, a person is standing in prayer and he sneezes. You understand? So can he say Alhamdulillah? Yes, he can. He can. Okay? But if the person is standing next to you, they sneeze and they say Alhamdulillah. Now you don't go on saying Alhamdulillah. And they're, uh, you know, a conversation should not start. And remember that this reason could be something that happens in the prayer or something that happens outside of the prayer. So for example, you're praying salah, you sneeze. So you say Alhamdulillah, valid. Now someone... Let's say they come and they give you some really good news. They come rushing and guess what, guess what, this person has come, this person has come. And they don't see that you're praying. And as soon as they walk in, they're like, oh, but you have received the good news already. You understand? They've been yelling all the way in the hallway and you heard them. So you're really happy. You're very excited. So can you say Alhamdulillah over there? Yes, you can. You can say Alhamdulillah. Okay, because Abu Bakr anhu, this was a big nirmah that the Prophet is telling him to lead in prayer. This was a huge nirmah. So he couldn't resist but say, Alhamdulillah. Now many times it happens that during the prayer something like this happens and if you wait until after the prayer, you can't focus in prayer. Right? And you want to thank, glorify Allah instantly, immediately. You know like during salah if you're reciting the Qur'an, and there is an ayah about, uh, you know, on which sajda tilawah has to be done, then what do you do? You go into sajda immediately. 
Isn't it? So natural. But remember that if that dhikr is going to distract you from prayer, then it will be avoided. Hmm? So for example, you're praying your nafil in the masjid and the mu'adhin starts to give the adhan. Now, should you start responding to the adhan? No, because if you start responding to the adhan, you won't be able to pray. You understand? So if it's just a word or two, okay, then it is permissible. So for example, the imam is reciting, سَبِّحِ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْأَعْلَى So you say, subhanallah. It really, you know, sometimes it hits you. Uh, so you you say it, there's no harm. As long as it's just a word or two, there is absolutely no harm. And you can also, like for example, you're standing in qiyam, you receive this good news, or you you know, you know receive a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what happens? You go into rukur, and you glorify Him in rukur. That is also possible. Right? So you have both options. Then we also see that Abu Bakr who not only glorified Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that occasion, he also raised his hands. And that again, that action is not part of the prayer. And the Prophet ﷺ did not object after the prayer that why did you raise your hands? Right? So this shows to us that in the prayer and also outside of the prayer, you may raise your hands in doing hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it should not be a regular habit. Because we know the correct way of raising your hand in the prayer is what? Raf'ul yadain, like takbir. But some people, what they do is they get up from ruku and they go like this. Right? Or every time they get up from, from sajda or any rakah or anything, every time they go like this. And they wipe their hand on their face. Now that, making that a part of the prayer every time, that is not permissible. But if it's like a once in a while thing, you were overcome with feelings of joy and gratitude. So you said, Alhamdulillah, and you go back to where you were, that is permissible. You see, shukr, when, when your heart is filled with you know feelings of gratitude and joy, it's almost spontaneous to say something or, or do something. When you're making dua yourself, you don't need to say ameen. Then we also see over here that the Prophet ﷺ told Abu Bakr to, he gestured to him, carry on, carry on. But Abu Bakr anhu, he just glorified Allah and he insisted and he stepped back. Now, didn't he technically disobey the Prophet ﷺ? And the Prophet ﷺ asked him later on, what prevented you when I told you? In other words, you should have listened to me. So didn't Abu Bakr disobey the Prophet ﷺ? It was out of respect. So you see, if a person does not obey the order that he is given, not with the intention of disobedience, then it, it's not going to be considered disobedience. Okay? Abu Bakr did not listen to the Prophet ﷺ, not in opposition to the command of the Prophet ﷺ, but out of what? Respect, out of ta'zim, out of adab, out of ikram. Right? So it's not going to be considered disobedience. Okay? So for example, uh, somebody you know, who's older than you in age, or the door is open and you say, you go first, you go first. And they say, no, no, you go first. They're older than you. And they're telling you, you go first. You say, Wallahi, I will not go first. I will not go until you go. Is this disrespect to the person? No. Is it uh, opposition to their command? No. It is in fact out of, out of respect. So it will not be considered a sin or bad akhlaq. Then we also learn about the humility of Abu Bakr and the respect that he had for the Prophet That even though the Prophet gave him that, you know, honor, of leading the people, even though the Prophet ﷺ was standing behind him, Abu Bakr did not accept that rank for himself. 
He said, it's not possible that Ibn Abi Quhafa would lead the people in prayer. And Ibn Abi Quhafa is a laqab that would be given to someone, you know, when they would be humiliated or insulted, which is why Abu Sufyan at Uhud, what did he say? Is Ibn Abi Quhafa amongst you in order to degrade? So Abu Bakr is calling himself by Ibn Abi Quhafa, like, I'm a nothing. It doesn't, you know, suit a person you know, like Ibn Abi Quhafa to stand and lead the people when the Prophet ﷺ is present. And you see, it was this humility and this adab that really brought him that honor. I mean, the lesson we see here is that Abu Bakr anhu he was so humble, despite the fact that he was honored, still he was humble. And it was this humility that really brought him honor. مَنْ and we think we will gain honor by putting ourselves out there and going forward. And yes, that, that is also a way of, you know, being successful. But, you know, true success comes with what? Humility. Not false, fake humility. True, genuine humility. Because then a person is honorable in the sight of Allah. And when a person is honorable in the sight of Allah, then Allah will make him honorable amongst the rest of the creation also. Because when a person is loved by Allah, then Allah tells Jibreel to love him too. And then Jibreel tells the Ahlul Samawat to love him too. And then the love and respect for that person is spread everywhere, in the Sama and also in the At. So this is the way to success. And you see, this is an, an evidence that that knowledge had really had an impact on him and all that companionship with the Prophet ﷺ had impact on him because he was humble. Right? True taqwa, ilm, under fiqh, translates into tawadur, into humility. I mean, when someone is given so many opportunities, I mean, he has been ahead of everybody in almost everything. Like, when it comes to sadaqah, Abu Bakr anhu was ahead. Right? When it comes to, you know, relationship with the Prophet ﷺ, he was his close companion, his friend, and also his father-in-law. Think about it, right? Abu Bakr was a father-in-law of who? Of the Prophet ﷺ. But never do we see that he is showing that he is something. He's always, always being humble before the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, can you imagine? His daughter is married to the Prophet ﷺ. And what happens now? I mean, what is it that people expect? That if my daughter is with somebody, he better serve me for the rest of my life. I mean, we, we demand respect from others. And those who demand respect... They'll never get it. On the outward, people will show respect, but in the heart, there's no respect. So Abu Bakr he's ahead of people in so many ways, yet he is so humble. Then we also see that if there's something that is a cause of concern during the prayer, then a man should say, Subhanallah, and a woman should clap, because this is what the Prophet said. Now, remember that something could be a cause of concern because of a matter that is related to the prayer and also because of a matter that is not directly related to the prayer. Now something that is directly related to the prayer. So for example, the imam is making a mistake. Right? He's reciting the Quran. He forgot an ayah. Right? Or he sat in tashahud. Where is he supposed to be standing up? A mistake can happen. He's a human being. So those who are following him, what should they do? What should they do? They should say, Subhanallah. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever will glorify Allah, then he will be looked at. Right? So then the imam will stop and think, okay, what's going on? Or he will look back and 
make sure that everything's okay. So what are the men supposed to do? They should say subhanallah. Also, if there is a matter that is a cause of concern, uh, and this could be a matter that is not directly related to prayer. So for example, somebody uh, comes at the door, you're inside the, the room, a man is inside the room and he's praying salah, and somebody's at the door and they're knocking. They're saying, may I come in please? And I mean, he's praying inside, he can't answer. Do you see what I mean? He can't answer. So what should the man do? Break his prayer and go open the door. What should he do? Should he start reciting very, very loudly? No, he will just, you know, say subhanallah, cough a little bit or something so that the person at the door has an idea that okay, he's praying salah so he can wait. Do you see what I mean? So uh, for, for something like that also. And um, uh, for a woman, what will she do? She will clap. Why will she clap? Why would she clap? Think about it. A jama'ah is going on. Imam is in the front. There are men behind him, a couple of rows. Then towards the back of the masjid, there are a couple of rows of women. If a woman realizes the imam made a mistake, for example, none of the men corrected him, and she realized, now what is she going to do? She has to clap. That's what the Prophet ﷺ instructed. Why? Think about it. Why? Why, why can't she say subhanallah? She's far from the imam. Okay? She's far from the imam. If she says subhanallah, it might not be heard. But if she will clap, then definitely it will be heard. So first of all, this is to make sure that the woman, you know, she's able to convey the message. Okay? So that, because she might not be heard if she says subhanallah. Secondly, because her voice might be low and she might feel shy. Possible, right? I mean, men are generally louder compared to women, right? So a woman, she might be shy of saying subhanallah out loud or even if she tries to say subhanallah out loud, she's not able to. So why put her in distress? Simple solution, she can clap. And another reason is that it could be, it could be a source of fitna. For who? For the men. Because men think differently, right? So they, they're in prayer and all of a sudden they're like, oh, who was she? Right? So it, it can, it can definitely be a source of fitna. So for this reason, for the protection of the woman and for the protection of the man, what has been done? That she should clap. Now this does not mean that the voice of the woman is awrah. You know, the voice itself is not awrah because, I mean, women would voice their concerns, they would also speak in the presence of men, in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, in the presence of the companions. It happened at multiple occasions. Right? So, this does not mean that the woman's voice is awrah. Uh, it's just that it's easier for her in this situation to clap rather than say, subhanallah. Okay? And how will she clap? Some have said with the back of the right hand hitting the palm of the left hand. Or there's a said that even a normal clap is fine. Okay, so it can be like this and also like this. But usually when you strike the palms together, there's an echo also. So if you do like this, it's softer. It's more toned, you can say. There's no melody in it almost. Loudly, obviously, as, as much as is needed. I mean, let's say the imam makes a mistake. The woman from the back, she claps out loud. The imam stops for a moment and he thinks in his head, he's like, Everything's fine. I didn't make a mistake. And he carries on. 
and now he's gone far ahead. Now if she keeps, I mean, he, it's going to be confusing. What's going on here? The etiquette of the imam is that if he is told in the prayer that there's something going on, then what should he do? He should pay attention to what's going on. So Abu Bakr al-Dawarnu even looked back. Right? So even if it means looking back, uh, repeating the ayat or whatever it is, it, it should be done. That's the responsibility of the imam. But if, if the imam does not understand and he continues. Now we see over here that uh, Abu Bakr al-Dawarnu didn't understand with a little bit of clapping. But did the people stop? They carried on. And then, because it was something serious. So if it's something serious, then the people will continue to make noise until the imam gets it. Now, like I mentioned earlier that a man will say subhanallah for, for a matter that is a, a cause of concern that is directly related to prayer or not even. Uh, it could be an external factor also, right? Same with the woman. She can clap because of something that's going on in the prayer or something that's going on outside of the prayer that is a cause of concern. So for example, you're praying. You're facing a wall. And there is a baby that crawls in front of you. And there is a light switch, for example, right in front. And he's putting his little teeny, teeny fingers inside. And nobody's getting it. The mother is sitting right there. She's busy talking away. Now, you know from the corner of your eye that the baby's going to hurt himself. So then, can you clap at that time? Can you clap at that time? Yes, you can. And you should. To alert the mother. To alert the people who are around you. Now, typically what people do is that they start reading out loud. Hmm? So for example, if they are you know, reciting the Qur'an, they will say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. As if they're scolding or yelling someone. Now, this, it doesn't sound nice at all because you're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the voice, there should be humility. Remember Umar anhu when he would recite out loud in order to wake the people up? The Prophet ﷺ told him, recite a little softly. Because he would recite out loud so that those who were sleeping would wake up and pray. He would be getting mad at them. Why are they sleeping? They should be praying right now. So what was he told? Recite softly. So we have been taught as to what we should do if we have to alert people. And we should follow that. We think clapping is kind of strange in prayer. That's the etiquette that we've been given. Clap. Don't start yelling out the words of prayer because that would be disrespectful towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's important that we educate the family as well because if you're clapping in prayer and they don't know what's going on, why is mama clapping? Or why is Baba saying subhanallah out loud? So children should be taught about this also. Okay, so for example, there's an emergency situation, right? During the prayer. Now, there are people, let's say their sisters nearby who are not praying salah. They're sitting. But they don't know somebody just fell unconscious. So you clap loudly so that they realize something's going on and they come and they, you know, respond to the need. Alright. Now, we also see in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ said that tasbih is for men and clapping is for women. Now, this is specifically with regards to the prayer but even otherwise we see that it was disliked by the Salaf that men sing and uh, they clap. This was something that was disliked. Typically, who would sing and clap? In social gatherings at times of happiness, for example at Eid, who would generally clap and sing? It was the women or young children. All right. So it was the young girls, children who would sing, uh, clap. So it was not liked that men should you know, stand up clapping and singing, it was something that was disliked. And we see in this hadith also that the Prophet ﷺ said that clapping is for 
women. Also, another important lesson that we learn in this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ was ready to follow Abu Bakr in prayer. So what does that show? That Abu Bakr anhu, his ways, they are to be followed by us. Meaning we should also follow the way of Abu Bakr. We are to follow the Qur'an, we are to follow the Sunnah, and we are also to follow the ways of the companions of Rasulullah ﷺ. You see? You know like we say that Qur'an and Sunnah and the way of the companions. فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ Tum, you all. Who does you all refer to? The companions. Right? So a statement of a companion can be taken as a proof. As long as it does not contradict the Qur'an and Sunnah, it will be taken as a proof. It will be followed. In fact, it has to be followed because that was the understanding of the companions. Now obviously if there is ikhtilaf or there is you know, a text of the Qur'an or Sunnah that says otherwise, then that will be given preference, right? But in general... So for example, you know, there are cases of inheritance, for instance. There are certain matters that we learn about, you know, from the Qur'an. That in this case, in this case, this much portion will be allotted to this relative, and this much portion will be allotted to this relative. There are other details that we learn from the sunnah. And then there are some details that we learn from who? From the companions. How they divided the inheritance of someone. Now, what's in the Qur'an, what's in the sunnah, yes, you have to follow. Now what the companions did, are we supposed to follow that also? Yes, we're supposed to follow that. Because the Prophet ﷺ was taking Abu Bakr as Imam. So what does that show? That Abu Bakr's sunnah is to be followed also. His sayings, his actions will also be followed. They will be taken as hujjah. So for example, we see after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, there were some people who refused to give zakat. So what happened? Did the companion say, oh, never mind, it's their decision? Since the Prophet ﷺ is not here anymore, we're not going to do anything? No. From their understanding, what did they realize? That if someone refuses to give zakat, it is just the same as someone refusing to pray salah. They didn't differentiate between the two. And they took it as what? Apostasy. And they waged war against such people. That was the understanding of Abu Bakr. And we are to follow that understanding in the sense that if Abu Bakr believed that you cannot differentiate between salat and zakat, then we also follow that way. Clear? Right? Likewise, we see that at the time of Abu Bakr and later on at the time of Uthman, the Qur'an was collected, it was written down. Was this an innovation? No. Yes, the Prophet didn't do that. And there were reasons behind that. But if Abu Bakr decided that the Qur'an should be collected, alright, and later on, of the Khulafa Rashidin was Uthman anhu. If he decided that the Quran should be copied, alright, and the copies should be spread across the Ummah, then is that an innovation? It's not an innovation because it was the understanding of a companion. So is it clear? Because sometimes people raise objections at the decisions of the companions. On what basis did they do that? There's so many examples that we see. The companion started something, alright. Remember, it was not an innovation. As long as there's some proof behind it, something they did based on some understanding of the Qur'an and Sunnah, then it's absolutely a hujjah for us. We must follow that. Bab, إِذَا اسْتَوَوْ فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ فَلْيَأُمَّهُمْ أَكْبَرُهُمْ إِذَا اسْتَوَوْ When they're all equal, meaning when the people are all equal, فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ In recitation, meaning they all know the same amount of Qur'an, and when it comes to their knowledge, it's all the same, meaning they're all at the same level. 
then who should be the imam? فَلْيَ أُمَّهُمْ أَكْبَرُهُمْ Then the eldest of them will be the imam. Now, we learned earlier that it's not just knowledge, but it's also fadl, right? And over here we see that our fadl is age. In a hadith we learned, which is a hadith that is authentic, Imam Muslim has recorded it, the Messenger of Allah said, the person who is best versed in the recitation of the Book of Allah should lead the prayer. Meaning the person who has most knowledge of the Qur'an, he should lead the people in prayer. But if all those present are equally versed in it, meaning they have the same knowledge of the Qur'an, they're at the same level, then the one who has most knowledge of the sunnah, then he will lead the people in prayer. Alright? And he said, if they're equal in that respect too, then the one who has immigrated first, the one who did hijrah first, you see, it gives him fuddle over the rest of the people, right? Then he will be the imam. And if they're all equal in this respect also, then the oldest of them. The person who is best versed in the recitation of the book of Allah should lead the prayer. But if all those present are equally versed in it, then the one who has most knowledge of the sunnah. And if they are equal in that respect too, then the one who has immigrated first. And if they are equal in this respect also, then the oldest of them. This is in Sahih Muslim. So we see that age in itself okay, is not a factor that will qualify a person to be imam. What is it? Knowledge. Knowledge and amal and all of that is a part of fadl. Obviously at that time hijrah was you know, clear, but but what does it show? Hijrah, what does it show? That they have done something that the others have not done. They have accomplished something in the way of Allah, okay, that others have not. Alright? So for example, there are three people. All three of them are hafal. All three of them, let's say, they have also studied texts of a hadith, for example. Right? But let's say one of them one of them, you know, he's, let's say in a masjid, he's a board member also. Now, doesn't that give him extra fadl over the rest of the people? It does. Now, depending on the group of people, this fadl will be different. But remember that the first criteria is what? Knowledge of the Qur'an. That must be present in a person. حدثنا سليمان بن حرب قال حدثنا حماد بن زيد عن أيوب عن أبي خلابة عن مالك بن الحويرث قال قدمنا على النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ونحن شبابة We have studied this hadith earlier A group of people they said we came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم while we were شبابة we were youth meaning about similar in age فلبثنا عنده نحو من عشرين ليلة We stayed with him for about 20 nights وكان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم رحيما Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was very merciful he was very kind and he noticed that we are missing our families. So they stayed with him for about 20 days and then he noticed that they're missing their families. He was very kind. فَقَالَ So he said, لَوْ رُجَعْتُمْ إِلَىٰ بِلَادِكُمْ Go ahead, if you want, go back to your homes. فَعَلَّمْتُمُهُمْ And teach your families. مُرُوهُمْ Order them. فَلْيُصَلُّوا صَلَاةَ كَذَا فِي حِينِ كَذَا And they should perform this prayer at this time. وَصَلَاةَ كَذَا فِي حِينِ كَذَا And this prayer at this time. So basically, he clarified to them that at which time, which prayer should be performed. And he said, وَإِذَا حَضَرَتِ الصَّلَاةَ فَلْيُؤَذِّلْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ When the time of prayer enters, then one of you should give the adhan. وَلْيَأُمَّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ And he said that the eldest of you should be the imam. Now why did he say over here that the oldest should be the imam? Because they all came at the same time. They all learned the same knowledge. Okay? So the only distinguishing factor, you know, between them, meaning the only thing that would make a person 
greater in rank compared to the others now was what? Age. So because of this reason, age was mentioned. Bab إِذَا زَارُ الْإِمَامُ قَوْمًا فَأَمَّهُمْ إِذَا زَارُ الْإِمَامُ When the imam visits قَوْمًا a people, then what should he do? فَأَمَّهُمْ Then he will lead them in prayer. So for example, a person is imam in a particular place, in his city. All right. What happens? He goes to visit some people in another city. He is imam, imam sahab, right? So when he goes to another city, there is already another imam over there. Now who's to lead the people in prayer? The visiting imam or the present imam? Who? Imam Bukhari says over here that the visiting one. Hmm? But we see from other ahadith that it depends. And from the hadith that he's mentioned, it, that also further clarifies this. حدثنا معاذ بن أسد أخبرنا عبد الله أخبرنا معمر عن الزهري قال أخبرني محمود بن الربيع قال سمعت عثبان بن مالك الأنصاري قال he said remember when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم visited عثبان رضي الله عنه when he requested that he come and pray in his house so that he could take his that place as musalla because he was not able to come to the masjid every time so when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم came قال he said استأذن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فأذنت له the Prophet ﷺ took permission that, okay, should I go and, should, should I lead the people in prayer? Should, should I pray here? So Itban permitted for him. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, أَيْنَ تُحِبُّ أَنْ أُصَلِّيَ مِنْ بَيْتِكَ Where would you like me to pray in your house? فَأَشَرْتُ لَهُ إِلَى الْمَكَانِ الَّذِي أُحِبُّ So he pointed towards the place where he wanted the Prophet ﷺ to pray. فَقَامَ So the Prophet ﷺ stood, وَصَفَفْنَا خَلْفَهُ ثُمَّ سَلَّمَ وَسَلَّمْنَا the people formed rows behind him. And when the Prophet ﷺ did taslim, he ended the prayer. The people also ended the prayer with him. So in this hadith, what do we see? The Prophet ﷺ, he was the imam, but he was visiting. Now in a house, who's the imam? The owner of the house. The man of the house. He's the imam, right? The Prophet ﷺ was visiting. He took permission from the person of the house in order to lead salah over there. So what do we see? It should be after idhn. So for example, the visiting imam, he is requested that please, you lead us in prayer. So should he step forward and lead? Yes. Or let's say people want him to lead in prayer. But the present, the, the imam of the place, he doesn't want the other person to lead in prayer. He wants to lead. Is that okay? Yes. Who has more authority? The imam of the place, the owner of the house. Because in the hadith that of Muslim that I mentioned earlier, about who should be the imam, that hadith continues, that no man should lead another in prayer where the latter has authority. So if someone has authority in a place, no outsider should come and lead him in prayer. Unless there is idhn. Unless he's been asked. Unless obviously... I mean, you know, there is a hafil of the Qur'an or someone and everybody asks. But then again, the person of the house, the owner of the house, their permission should be taken. Because what happens is that sometimes people live in their own worlds and they think, if I'm boss here, I'm boss everywhere. And they expect that they should be treated like that everywhere. But this kind of attitude is not appropriate. Because this is what creates tension amongst people and this is what creates rivalry also. And we should all, all be, you know, respectful of one another. I remember hearing a part of a, it was a clip of how three shayukh, Sheikh Al-Bani, Sheikh Ibn Baz, and Sheikh Ibn Usaymin, they were all present in one place. And each one was 
telling the other, you be the imam, you be the imam. Why? Because they had respect for one another, right? So if someone is asked to lead, then yes, they can go ahead and lead, but nobody should come in somebody's house, in somebody's masjid, in somebody's domain as a leader, as an imam, as someone of authority. Either we should follow the rules wherever we go. It's a good question. I mean, sometimes you yourself or there are people with you, could be your children, you're afraid that if their talent is shown in front of others, they might be affected with evil eye. But you see, just out of this fear, don't cover the potential. I mean, don't prevent it. Right? I mean, they have the potential of going really far. But you're just being overprotective. I mean, if there's a genuine reason, like you you can sense that people don't like it when your son stands to give the adhan. And there are people who get offended and they the jealousy is visible. And it happens. It happens. Right? In, in any way. Whether it's adhan or imama or recitation of the Qur'an or anything. Now you sense that my child will not be accepted over here. Then, you know, take a step back. Where you know that you're not welcome, then don't impose yourself over there. Right? But if you are welcome somewhere and people want you to lead them or in whatever capacity, then go ahead and do it. And always, you know, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because these thoughts sometimes, they're also from shaitan, right? Because he doesn't want us to go forward. So if you see that the way is paved for you, there is encouragement, then you should go ahead. But if you sense that, no, you don't feel comfortable, then don't do it there. So inshallah we'll conclude over here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.